0: Hello, and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Howells. So Dan has worked for more than 15 years in elite sport. He's worked with Olympic and Paralympic programs, including Team GB Rugby Sevens through 2016 and 2020. More recently, he's been focusing on leadership and mentoring, making sure that young developing practitioners can get the best out of themselves and have the best career they possibly can. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Dan onto the show. So Dan, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you very much for, for giving up your evening. So uh, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now?
1: Yeah, so I am historically a strength conditioning coach. I Started out nearly 20 years ago now, which seems terrible to to reflect and see it over that duration of time. But yeah, I was a rugby player and I transitioned quite quickly into strength and conditioning. And most of my time has been spent in high performance sport, whether that's in Olympic or Paralympic programs, professional rugby clubs. And also some time in Major League Baseball as well, leading uh, a department over there in strength conditioning as well. Uh, most notably, or most recently, some time spent with the GB team leading up to the Olympics in Tokyo last year. And since then, I've just been doing more some more consultations, uh, consultancy work and, and a significant amount of work with coaches of tomorrow in, in a mentorship
0: program that I run. Absolutely excellent, mate. So you've got a, a huge wealth of experience and we're going to tap into some of that rugby experience today. Um, I think we could have done a podcast on, uh, on a hundred different sports by the sound of it, but, uh, we're going to, we're going to tackle rugby. Um, and with that in mind, uh, rugby is obviously an intermittent sport where you have some huge guys smashing into each other, right? And they're going to need some muscle mass. You come in at, let's say, let's say, uh, 14, 15, 16 years old and you are a kid. Um, how do you pack on that much muscle mass? to be ready to play professional rugby. I mean, that, that takes years of effort, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a number of factors to consider, especially at that age. I think the first thing is my experiences within elite sport are that if you've got an aspiration to be at the elite level, that skills play a significant role in your ability to differentiate yourself as an elite player. So first and foremost, there should not be a cost of your skill development. The advantage of potentially gaining mass, for example. So it's really important to be balanced in your approach. Um also the other thing is to understand that 14, 15, 16, maturation is still occurring. You're still growing into an adult. Um, you're increasing your level of, of, of testosterone naturally and and your hormones are changing over time. And and just having a consistent training program is a really simple way to let muscle mass increase naturally along with your maturation um after that as you as you reach more of your your later years and teens it, it's more about the strategies you implement to create hypertrophy basically which comes down to three very simple factors and those are going to be the mechanical tension that you put on muscles and uh, the 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 damage that you can create essentially uh within safe reason and the metabolic or the the ischemic stress that you can and create in the muscle and those three things need to be catered for in your training program
0: um, I'd, I'd love to in just a few seconds time really unpack those adaptations and how you get them uh, but before we get onto that kind of physiology how do we make sure that if you're gonna increase your muscle mass that we don't lose other abilities right so let's say you increase muscle mass you 10 kilos heavier like that could potentially have an impact on your endurance capacity for example so how do we make sure that if we're going to increase muscle, we're not going to lose things like endurance or speed, for example.
1: Yes, yeah, so that, that comes back to balance again, right? My my experiences within the Sevens program were fantastic because we could have people improve muscle mass, uh, improve their fitness and and retain speed as well. So it's about balance and making sure that you know, concurrent training methods, so that's training one quality alongside another, isn't creating what we call an interference effect. So whether or not that's separating your training over days and ensuring that you've got a certain day allocated to a certain quality of physical development as opposed to packing it into the same day, Um, ensuring that you're, again, consistent over time to, to focus on 10 kilograms of muscle mass or any muscle mass and put endurance or speed by the wayside as a focus and shift it to to almost no training stimulus, and that's going to create yourself a disadvantage over time. So I think it's important to create consistent training um, programs that cover all of these. Um, and again, it comes down to consistency for me. So consistency in a speed dose, consistency in a fitness uh, dose, and also your hypertrophy, your, your muscles. It doesn't need to be volume. I think that's the first thing that we think more is more, and actually, it's about the intentional, very specific focus on training. So if we can be very specific with 30 minutes of speed work a week and very intentional and specific with two very specific isolated fitness sessions a week and very specific with three hypertrophial or, or gym resistance type training sessions, then we can get the adaptations we occur alongside each other. But if we're doing the opposite and we're trying to um, do four or five weightlifting sessions a week and four or five fitness where actually more is not more in that case and you're actually going to create fatigue you're actually going to create more cortisol which is inevitably going to uh, limit your ability to create muscle or stimulate muscle growth um, so it's really important to be balanced and, and be smart with your programming
0: And I think uh, we're going to touch on some of that later in terms of specifics and how you would then go about planning those things. But I wanted to dive into those three adaptations of hypertrophy quickly so we can get a little bit more understanding as to how we can actually improve or increase muscle mass. So when we have those those three variables which you mentioned or those three adaptations, how do we specifically target those adaptations as individual uh, aspects of a training plan?
1: Yeah, so it it comes down to um, managing the way you lift, the sets of reps, um, the rest periods accordingly. So, for example, we need to create tension, right? So in creating tension, that means we need to have probably a, a three to four second eccentric portion to a lift, OK, and we need to do that over a certain volume. So we know that hypertrophy responds well to higher volume rep. So whether that's 8 to 12 or 8 to 15 rep ranges. So that's going to create tension um, in, in terms of t- tension types, stresses that we need to stimulate adaptation. Um, we do need to ensure that there's a muscle you know, element of damage so that we can relay new tissue down. And that, that will come from working towards exhaustion so if we're looking at three sets of eight and we've still got five reps in the tank and we could have done 12 13 reps well we're not going to create muscle that get towards that not lift to fatigue every time but get towards an element of fatigue that at least by the last set we potentially need a spot we may be falling one rep shy of our target rep of, of eight reps for example and then the management of the rest periods is really crucial. So for the same given sets and reps in allowing two to three minutes rest between sets is not going to create the metabolic stress that resting only 60 to 90 seconds would. And so managing that rest period of of 60 to 90 seconds is going to create a more of a stressful response than allowing two minutes, for example. And so that's really important. And when we look at the, the schematics out there for, hypertrophy and and creating that adaptation, you're looking at that higher volume, lower rest type of management of your sets and reps.
0: Absolutely excellent. So when you've when you've got those things combined, um how how do you make sure that it's not gonna influence the technical and tactical sessions? Because like you said earlier, we don't want that that interference effect. And obviously if you're going super tired into those sessions, then you could certainly have some kind of detriment in in at least the the technical aspects. So how do you make sure that the hypertrophy sessions are then not impacting the technical sessions?
1: Yeah, great question, because sometimes we go from session to session and try and cram our efforts in together. And that that comes back to being smart again. and, And more is not necessarily more. Sometimes it might be more advantageous to do. only three sessions instead of four a week so that you can focus on your technical tactical sessions it wouldn't be advisable to be going uh from an upper body session that focuses on hypertrophy into a full full contact rugby session that's focusing on tackling you've created fatigue you've actually created some micro trauma and muscle damage you create some stress in that environment and and therefore if you put your put your arm out into an outstretched position to make a tackle you might be putting yourself at risk of of more injury than if you were fresh in that condition. So bolting those sessions together isn't advisable. I would say that you need to have a look at your own training plan. So if you're training as an amateur or young, young athlete two or three times a week, what can you do to create distance or time, sorry, between sessions? So whether that's a weight session in the morning and an afternoon gym, that gives you some recovery time. If it's that you can focus on doing some legs and speed work on the same day because you don't have a technical tactical session, that would be advantageous. And then that would give you a significant amount of time to recover before your rugby session. So it's really important to to look at your training plan, look at the opportunities to space out that training. Equally, it's important to, in a a given training week, with performance potentially on a weekend, game on a weekend weekend, to front-load your week with some of the higher stresses and pull back with some of the lower stresses uh, later in the week as well. So lots to consider. Plenty of it comes down to what's what's on paper in front of you and where you can find opportunities to create the stimulus you need without a consequential negative effect on the subsequent training session, which shouldn't be too close to the one you've just completed.
0: So when when you're going to put all of that together, right? Because um, so so far we've got some excellent um, kind of theoretical. Uh, advice and tips so when you're going to put all of that together how would you design a program to increase muscle mass for rugby players uh, when you're looking at for example a whole training week and then later i'd like to zoom into the to the program itself on on one day but when you're looking at the week how would you like to plan that so with respect to a uh schoolboy. Training program or a professional training program? Um, let's go for let's go for a professional academy. Like let's say uh, an eighteen-year-old who wants to to break into the first team.
1: Great. So if they're an academy player, they're likely training on three, if not four, I imagine days a week. The typical approach to structure of a week is going to have likely some elements of speed early in the week. Um, and then probably three weight sessions and and that just comes down to how an individual wants to program personally, I would be splitting into uh, a lower and upper and total body um, training organization at that point that's going to allow the individual to focus significantly on you know creating you know significant adaptations in lower and upper body separately it's also going to allow them an increased recovery time for both of those areas of the body. Um, there definitely needs to be a day off in the middle. So t- typically people are lifting Monday, Tuesday, Thursday before going into a game on Saturday. It's really important to to avoid stimuluses, I think, before the game, apart from maybe a team run and lower lower intensity session. You want to be reducing your volume and intensity in those forty eight hours prior to any game in season. And from my experiences going two days with a slightly higher intensity in, in, in a rugby environment is far better than going trying to go three days or four days consecutively. So it's really important to have rest planned in, in that programme as well.
0: And how would that then differ from a professional setup? Because that sounds obviously very logical in, t- in terms of planning but would professionals uh, and for example, let's say a 30-year-old, uh, would they do that differently? <laughs>
1: Well, such an open question. It comes back to it depends, right? Like, who is the athlete in front of me, and, and what do I see as uh, their training history and, and you know what they're used to? Because you know we're going to, I personally am going to exhaust the basics with any athlete for as long as possible before they plateau. Um, so, assuming that an individual has a decent training background behind them, that's where you might start to look at novel stimuluses, more um, you know scientifically driven stimuluses such as Accentuated eccentrics, where you've got extra weight on the bar, or you've got individuals that place extra weight on top of the bar by pushing it down for you. And then you release the mechanism of extra weight and, and concentrically push it up as normal. So it's an unweighting um, strategy. Or you might look at something like blood flow restriction. And what you do see in rugby clubs is that they do have a higher training um, or higher game demand the older you get in terms of senior rugby, it becomes more intense and the recovery times required are therefore a little bit longer. So the, the frequency of rugby training may not change three to four times a week before a game, but it might be that the weight sessions need to take a much more specific route towards power. Okay. Especially in the season. And it's there where you see some, some really good practices across some of the premiership clubs, for example, where they do what they would call top-ups or additional work. And, you might see players come into the gym for a second session of 15 minutes at the end of the day in order to create um, an extra specific hypertrophy stimulus because they've been specifically targeted by the coaching staff as needing to pack on extra muscle mass to have an impact on performance. Um, And so those guys would would traditionally do extra, you know, 15 minutes of, of hypertrophy specific work at the end of a given day, whether that's driven by blood flow restriction, which, means you can get an ischemic or metabolic stress quicker and for lifting lighter loads it create, creates a little bit less muscle damage those are really novel and so the older you get and the, after the after you've exhausted the basics it's, it's where these techniques start to come into play a little bit
0: absolutely excellent and and when you're when you're looking at that that program itself right so i think it's super interesting to, to be able to split those sessions up but let's say you're gonna do it in in one session um how would uh, a hypertrophy session look like if you were going to plan it for let's say again that that 18 year old um who's in the academy
1: yes yeah, so, yeah 18 year old I still would hope that that individual ha- is, is on their path of movement competency you know they'll have some lifting background behind them um but I wouldn't be pushing them into novel or specialist uh sets and rep schemes so it'd be really really simple what I would hope is that at that age they're still mastering the basics those compound lifts of uh, your bench your squat your your pull your hinge uh, activities and I would you go for bang for buck at the beginning of every se- session with a big major lift to start with so something like a squat or a bench is going to create a really big hormonal um, drive a really good acute response that you can carry through the rest of the session it's also going to recruit the most muscle fibers and then as you go through a session you can start to do some, some what I would call ancillary or supplementary work that might be more single arm or dumbbell orientated um, but I'd be looking to ensure that if it, it was purely high, hypertrophy driven that it would be higher reps um, as a general rule of thumb but sometimes I've looked to use some more, more strength exercise or strength sets and rep schemes with some of those compound lifts um, to you know, create the, the biggest recruitment drive possible and then follow that up with some higher volume work. That higher volume work has to be in that 8 to 12 range. I'm probably going to be looking at three to four sets max. You see a lot of examples of training programs for hypertrophy that are far greater volume, but those aren't for athletes that are, are training. Those are for, for their sport. Those people might be training for bodybuilding and, and lifting might be their sport anyway. So I personally would be shooting for a maximum of four sets because I'd want quality over quantity. So I'd want you know, three or four sets of 10 to 12 with a really, really strict eccentric form, so control and creating tension on the way down and really strict rest periods. It's a really good way to, to, to target hypertrophy as well is, is your, your superset situations. Where you look at agonist and antagonistic type of balance of, of your... your your exercise selection and that's another way to do it but personally if you're playing rugby and rugby is happening in the week it's important to not overdo that so I'd probably be looking at a major lift and two or three additional supplementary exercises on top of that to ensure that I wasn't carrying a ton of fatigue into those technical tactical sessions as well and I would set my expectations or the expectations of the athlete that we're looking at just you know a pound and a half a week of of increased muscle mass so that it's we're committed to a two three month period to pack on a couple of kilograms
0: that's absolutely excellent i think it's it's really good to hear that there's uh there's goal setting involved in that as well right so it's not just a case of oh well we'll do a hypertrophy program and we'll see what happens but we'll do a hypertrophy program and at a certain point afterwards we're going to measure you and there's some kind of responsibility there for, okay, well, I'm the SSE coach. Uh, I programmed X, Y, and Z. But also the dietitian had a role in this to make sure that they were eating enough, uh, the protein requirements were sufficient, etc. cetera. Um, I think that's a really nice way to, to see that whole team working together instead of just uh, an SSE coach working on an island.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one thing that we forget is that we, we need a stimulus, but we also need a fuel, right, to help aid growth and um and, and recovery and adaptation and and we, if we're not simply eating enough good calories and a, with a good macro balance then we're going to struggle we, we may have all the right tools um, all the right stimulus all the right sets and reps right ex, ex, execution of exercises we might be balanced within the, re, the week in the right way and we just might simply not be a need, eating enough calories to create an energy surplus upon which to create more muscle mass so yeah you're absolutely right doing this in unison with um a nutrition plan is going to be absolutely critical
0: absolutely excellent so uh dan in terms of time um i think that's absolutely spot on um for for the guys and girls who want to find you uh, in terms of what you're doing now where can they best find more information about who you are and what you've uh, what you're doing at the moment
1: yes i'm frequently on on twitter uh at Howell Stan, H-O-W-E-L-L-S-D-A-N. I also have a a website for aspiring and developing practitioners and coaches, um, and that is called uh, Collaborate Sports. That's www.collaboratesports.com. There's opportunities there for individuals to attend free webinars with high-performance practitioners, and it's all discussion-based and collaborative in nature, which is the focus to to bring real-world examples to practitioners. Um, and yeah equally i'm accessible through that website or or as i say on twitter and uh, instagram as well
0: absolutely excellent and uh, you were telling me just before we came on uh, that you were doing some uh, some free work with different practitioners as well so yeah absolutely definitely uh, get stuck into that one as well because uh, i think yeah a lot of practitioners could uh, could benefit from uh, a little bit of advice here and there so uh, absolutely brilliant
1: yeah, and just on that, it was you know a recent post about networking this this week that got some really good engagement for some really senior and experienced practitioners, um, and that's on LinkedIn. I'd advise going and have a look at that because uh, a lot of it was was suggesting for individuals to you know reach out intentionally to individuals and and network and, and broaden their support system around them. Um, so yeah, equally if people want to reach out for me. Uh, Reach out to me, then I'm always going to be getting back in touch with them to offer some advice where I can.
0: Brilliant, Dan. So, massive thanks for your time and effort today. I really appreciate it and I look forward to speaking soon. Great. Thanks very much. Cheers, buddy. Bye. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Dan for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite sized chunks. So, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, there are a range of great lectures in there available for you completely for free if you use the link in the show notes so hit that link in just a few seconds time and you can find yourself diving into the depths of hypertrophy and how you can use that to improve physical performance and of course if you have enjoyed today's podcast it'd be fantastic if you can give us a recommendation to a fellow coach an athlete or a friend that means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content and that's it once again a massive thanks from me and matt solomon for science of sport and i'll speak to you next week